mea culpa, I forgot to check the mic before service, so Dan's taking care of me now. Um, That song might be a summary of Romans 12. You remember after all the great theology about everyone's guilt before God and salvation in Christ through faith, uh, you get to Romans 12 and the application begins. And the whole notion is that we're offering ourselves really all that we are, all all that we have uh, to God as a sacrifice. That's the worthy thing that we can do. We give Him all that we are. Uh, Praise is a theme we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Before we get to Psalm 67, that's where we're going to hang out. I want to, by way of introduction, mention 1 Kings 10. If I say 1 Kings 10 and you don't know what that reference is, that's okay, but I'll bet most of us know the story from that chapter. So that's the story of the Queen of Sheba, and so called Queen of the South and other places. But you remember, she's alive during the reign of Solomon, King Solomon. You know, this is Israel at the peak of its power, influence, wealth, you know, Solomon, sort of the golden king, and Israel, the golden realm at that time. And so, word's getting out to the Gentile nations around there about what a, what's going on there in Israel. And the Queen of the South hears that, and it sounds too good to be true. You know, maybe like things you and I hear, somebody's praising someone to the heavens, and you're like, really? So she's not believing it. She's not buying it. But she's interested enough to go and check it out. And so she goes up to Israel. She interviews Solomon, she pries him with her question, she sees what's going on, and she concludes at the end, the stories I heard, as exaggerated as they appeared to be at the moment, they didn't say half the truth about your glory or or the glory of this realm or God's goodness to you in this nation. In fact, it's interesting, the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles, translations treat this a little bit differently, uh, but it it says... uh, it took her breath away. When she's before Solomon and she hears his wisdom, one translation says the heart went out of her, but it's that thought like, I I give up. I I acquiesce. I recognize that this really is God's great work in you, your wisdom and also the abundance He's provided to the nation. And This is in part what the text says. She said, your wisdom and prosperity, so Solomon's wisdom, the prosperity of the nation, Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God. So so here's the, the picture. So Solomon and Israel are so singularly blessed that a foreign queen hears about it, is drawn to go investigate sees the reality reality of it, and she concludes by praising God, the God who had blessed Solomon. She blesses God, and she uses the proper name for God, at least in the text, it's Yahweh your God. So she hears, she comes to check it out, and the end of that, the fruit of that, is she joins with them in praising God. The blessing of God on Solomon and Israel led to this pagan queen coming to Israel and joining them in praising the living and true God. That's where we're going. That's the theme this morning. That was always part of God's plan in blessing Israel. His blessing on them would lead to those in the nations coming to a living faith in the living God who would join Israel in praising God and enjoying blessing through relationship with Him. Now fast forward, 1 Kings 10, go up to Matthew 5. 
And let me just, uh, let me frame this before we do. The Sermon on the Mount is very famous, very famous for all kinds of reasons. But as we read it this morning, think of this. Uh, Jesus is a Jew. No surprise. Jesus is a Jew. He's a Jewish Messiah. He's speaking to Jews under the Old Covenant. Jesus isn't a Christian here, okay? There's no church. There's no Christian faith. Jesus is a Jew speaking to Jews in the Jewish nation. So what he's saying reflects God's will for the Jewish nation, okay? So we're not saying we don't take elements from the Sermon on the Mount and apply them to ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But in the time this is given, this is spoken by a Jew to Jews. So God's expectation for the Jewish nation. You are the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Israel's the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, Jews, Israel, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Guys, that was God's mission for Israel always. Always. Now you see that in 1 Kings 10, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, is an illustration of that. So she hears, God's crazily blessed this people north of me so much, i got to go check it out. They were a city on a hill. They were a light to the nations. And she comes up to check it out, and what's the fruit? She ends up joining in the praise of the living and true God. That's what was going on. God means for those in living relationship with Him to make Him known to others who can then join in that same living relationship with God through faith and experience the blessings of God in a life of praise to Him. Now friends, that was true in the Old Covenant in Israel, and it's true in the New Covenant and the church today. That same theme you'll see we're going to get starting in Psalm 67, but we'll go from that forward as well. So we're in Psalm 67, and this song is composed probably around the time of harvest. We'll see that near the end of the psalm. And it asks, on one hand, it says, God, you have blessed us. And on another level, it says, and God, you will bless us. And you will bless us towards a particular end or towards a particular goal so that people in the nations can come to know God and join in His praise and blessing a harvest of people from the nations as it were. So at a time of agricultural harvest, the psalmist says, God, you have blessed us. I'm praying that you will bless us so that the nations will see your blessing and they'll come and they'll join us in knowing you and praising you. That's Psalm 67. Alan Ross's summary, which I give every one of these because they're succinct and helpful, says this, praying for God's mercy and blessing so that His ways may be known among the nations. The psalmist calls all people to praise God for His equitable providence and material blessings. So if you've got your Bibles or your apps open, Psalm 67, that line of introduction says, to the choir master, so this song was intentionally written to be sung by God's people. And it says it's with stringed instruments. This wasn't a cappella. This was going to be sung to musical instrumentation. It says it's a psalm, and not only that, but it is a song. Now, there's no author given. Some people argue for David as the author. I don't know, and I don't think at the end of the day it makes a difference. It's inspired by God, and that's enough. 
So if you look, we're going to start a very short psalm, but we're going to start at verses 1 and 2 only. So the psalmist starts out, May God, uh, Hebrew Elohim, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. Selah. And again, don't know exactly what Selah. We kind of guess. It could be a musical interlude. It could be pause, meditate, reflect, think about it. So may God be gracious to us and bless us, make His face shine on us. Verse 2, that for this purpose, towards this end, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So, verse 1, how, how many think that sounds familiar? Verse 1, does that sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, mm-hmm. That's from Numbers 6. And so, the psalmist starts with a phrase that's out of his Bible. And he knows it. Because guys, what does he do? He reads his Bible, right? The Bible that he's got, he reads it. Okay. So he starts his, this initial blessing and prayer is coming from God's Word. So he has confidence God wants to do this. It's from God's Word. So this is back to number 6, 22 through 27. This is a very, very famous line. It's part of a very famous prayer slash blessing in the Old Testament. One of the most famous. So this is what the text there says, God to Moses, the Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses, and this is what he said, speak to Aaron and his sons. Now why Aaron and his sons? Remember Moses' brother, he's the first high priest. And so Aaron's sons, his descendants, they'll follow him in line one generation after another as Israel's high priest, key representative between God and the nation. So he says, speak to Aaron and his sons, and this is how you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. So God says, I want to bless my people, and my spokesman is going to do it for me. And so this is what he's to say. This is the blessing. The Lord, now here it's God's proper name again, his covenant name, Yahweh. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, concludes, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, Israel's mine, I'm theirs, they're mine, and I will bless them. So my spokesman for the nation is going to bless Israel with my name this way. That's the deal. So we can paraphrase it this way. May Yahweh, the eternal, only true God, bless you, watch over you, and protect you. May Yahweh look on you with favor. May you experience His grace and mercy. May Yahweh look on you with favor so that you experience shalom, peace in all its fullness. This is a note from the Net Bible regarding this imagery, this language. Uh, For God to lift up His face is for God to give peace. The idea, and so he's, he's contrasting this with other uses of the term uh, someone's face or God's face in the Old Testament. The idea of the fallen face is one of anger. So if the Scripture says his face was fallen, I'm either angry, I'm disappointed, I'm dejected. My face is fallen, I'm looking down. The idea of the hidden face is that of withholding support, favor, or peace. I refuse to look on you with favor. And by the way, This prayer, this blessing comes up in portions throughout Psalms. Psalm 67 isn't the only place, it's throughout Psalms. 
Uh, if God lifts His face towards His people, it means He has given them peace. Peace, prosperity, completeness, health, safety, general well-being. You know, when we, we say peace today, it might just mean nobody's tearing my door down or nobody's bombing me. But for the Hebrews, that sense of shalom, it was no, it was it's peace's way of life. It, it was a general characterization that life is what it should be or could be. I'm at peace. Uh, my, my world is good. Portions of that prayer again will come throughout, but that's the way this psalmist starts this song out. It's from Numbers. It's from that blessing. Prayers we see throughout Scripture more often than not are based on God's will already revealed in Scripture. So guys, if we want to, we pray, right? We pray in all kinds of ways, right? So I might pray on the fly, God, we need your help. Or I might kneel to pray at home and pray for a list of people. But when we want to pray in a way that we have confidence that God's going to hear and answer, so we know from the New Testament we pray in Jesus' name, but even when we say that, guys, we don't want to use Jesus' name like this uh, uh, magic phrase, you know, that I pray and I say in Jesus' name as if God's constrained to do whatever I said because I said in Jesus' name. It means I'm praying as Jesus would pray, right? In Jesus' name means as, according to Jesus' desires, according to His will. And so if we want to know Jesus' will and pray in His name, what do we need to know? We need to know our Bible. We need to know what God wants, right? So we can pray for a great many things. And God may say no to most or all of them if they're not according to His will. We want to pray those things that we know God's heart God's will is after. And that's what the psalmist is praying. So when you hear that Aaron's blessing from Numbers, God has revealed His will. God intends to bless His people. And so when the psalmist takes that phrase, he knows, in fact, in the tenses he uses in the last few verses, he says, you have blessed us and you shall bless us, future tense, because he knows what God's will is. And so that's what he's praying. That's how he's beginning this song. Verse 2, this sort of gets to the Queen of Sheba to that point of introduction. The psalmist gives the reason. Now hear the reason. So in number 6, when you bless my people, you bless them this way. That could be at any occasion. could be all the time. could be any day or every day. But here, the psalmist gives the reason he's praying for God's blessing on Israel. And it's for the purpose of those among the nations coming to know God. That's why he's asking you to do that, Lord. Would you bless us so that the nations come to know you? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So God, I'm asking you to do what you've already said you're committed to do, not simply so I get more good stuff or a better quality of life, but so that just like the Queen of the South, so that out of the blessing you give me, you give us, the nations are drawn in. That people hear about what you're doing for us and how blessed we are as your people that the nations will want to come in and get part of that as well. So at times we know, when we uh, did a study through Deuteronomy, sometimes God used the Jewish nation as a scourge, as a means of discipline on the nations. But the primary means God meant for the nations relative to Israel was always that Israel would be a source of blessing, that Israel would be that city on a hill, that light to the Gentiles. So the psalmist prayers that God's blessing and material abundance on Israel will have the effect of bringing Gentiles into a saving knowledge of God, 
that pagans and idolaters would forsake false gods and futility and would join Israel in their relationship, vital, faithful relationship with the living and true God. That's the hope of the psalmist in starting with that portion of a blessing from number 6. So this was always the plan. So if you go back to Genesis 12, 3, how are the nations ultimately going to be blessed? You know, all families in the nations will be blessed through Abraham. That was God's desire. Now we know that's fulfilled through Christ, but even when God called Abraham the father of the Jews, he said it's for the blessing of all the earth. It's not just for your physical descendants. It's for everybody. I'm blessing you so that everyone around the earth can be blessed ultimately. Listen to a couple verses from Isaiah along this line. God speaking of His servant, the Messiah. This is Isaiah 49.6. God says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So I'm going to make you a light not just for Israel, but for the nations. In fact, in this passage, God says of His servant, who we know as Jesus, He says, it's not enough for you to be king over Israel. It's not enough glory. It's not enough honor. I'm going to make you king over all the earth. That's the thought here. This is Isaiah 56.7. This is a a, a verse that gets used and abused. Uh, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now you remember Jesus cites that in the Gospels when He gets there and sees the way the Gentiles who are coming to the temple are being ripped off. You know, through the elevated prices and through the animals being trafficked in God's house, His temple. And what's happening is the Gentiles are being put off instead of drawn in. And Jesus quotes this. He said, my house, God's house, the temple is supposed to be that place they come and they learn about me and they're drawn in. But you guys, you've turned my house into a den of thieves. You're actually pushing Gentiles away instead of bringing them in. So God meant the temple to be that place that not only Jews worshipped, but the place where Gentiles would come and meet Him. The psalmist's hope, Psalm 67, is that God's abundant blessing and favor on Israel will lead Gentiles to investigate and come to salvation just as has occurred with the Queen of the South. Same dynamics, that's in play. Friends, what was true of God's use of Israel in the Old Testament. That's true of the church today, and we might say even doubly so, right? There's a contrast here, though. So you remember, God said to Abraham and his heirs, I'm going to plant you in the land that I've promised you. So I'm going to take you and I'm going to plant you in this land. And you're going to push everybody out so you don't get mixed up with their religion and their views of life. So you stay holy to me, my particular special people. And because you're there and you're isolated and you're holy, you're going to be the city on a hill. You're going to be the light to the nations because they're going to see, in fact, this, is, this comes up in the language of Deuteronomy, you're going to see, they're going to see how uniquely blessed you are because of your relationship with me. So Israel is meant to reach the nations by way of staying in one place and sort of acting like, uh, uh, what's, uh, what do we, what keeps ships away from the land? The lighthouses, yeah. Not to keep people away, but this, this singular light that's above everything else so that people can see it, not to avoid it, but to be brought in. That's Israel. Oh, Old Testament. But guys, the same thing is true for the church. Same thing is true for the church. Now, in contrast to Israel, the church is not commissioned to stay. The church is commissioned to 
go. Right now, we're a bunch of Gentiles in this room, are we not? And that's because some Jews left Jerusalem, right? And they took the gospel with them to the Roman Empire. So the Jews, those early Jews, those early believers, they went. Do you remember Matthew 28? So Jesus says, I've got all authority, and so this is what I'm telling you. You go, not don't stay. You know, in fact, he says in Acts 1, you know, stay here until you get the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to have the power, God's presence in you, to do what I've commissioned you to do. You're going to go into all the nations. So Israel stays in one place, so the Gentiles will be attracted and brought near. The church doesn't stay in one place. The church goes into all nations of the earth, Matthew 28, to make disciples. So the same call, just two different mechanisms. Verse 2, I want to point this out too. Verse 2, the psalmist prayed, so bless us so that the nations come, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Now, the ESV translates, uses a phrase, but the Hebrew is one word, and the one word is Yeshua. Now, how many people, for, does it ring a bell for anybody? So yeah, in Hebrew, Yesha is salvation, so Yeshua, um, Joshua in the Old Testament is Yehoshua. It's got that same word in it. And it gets shortened to Joshua. And so we anglicize Yesu in the Greek to Jesus, but it's Yeshua. Yeshua. So we could say literally, not that the psalmist knew this at the time, uh, that your Savior, that your Jesus, that your Son would be known among the nations. Literally. So it's not just your saving power, that your salvation will come to the nations. So when the gospel's being presented here or near or far away, we're doing exactly what the psalmist in Psalm 67 was talking about. We're making other people know the way of salvation. And their salvation, you remember in Acts 4, their salvation in no one else, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must or can be saved. So the psalmist is praying, bless us, they'll come near, and they'll learn about salvation in Yahweh. The church is going and saying, there's salvation in no one else. Salvation is in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate. So we have, in that broad sense, we have the same mandate, we have the same mission Israel did. They did it by staying in one place. The church does it by going broadly so we're still under that mission and I want to qualify this just slightly some people will say everyone's called to be a missionary and that's just not true period it's terrible theology it's simply not what you see in the Bible everyone is not called to be a missionary now everyone's called to be a witness but everyone's not called to be a missionary so if when you read the the New Testament from Acts and the epistles what you see is a portion usually a very small portion of the saved going. So the church is represented by the missionaries who go out and make that proclamation. They're going among the nations. But friends, most people are not going. Most of the population of the believers in Jerusalem did not get up and go. Or Corinth, or Rome, or Ephesus, you name it. That's simply not the biblical model. But some did. So we want to be careful to say everyone's not a missionary, but everyone is a witness so we all have a call to share Christ with others. So we're not missionaries, but we are witnesses. And the church, if we're not missionaries called to go, we should be those that 
staying where God's planted us and helping send, right? So we may not be called as a missionary to go to the earth, but we should be part of that collective church body that is helping send. So hopefully that's something that we think about. You know, when you guys give to Lion Lamb Church, a portion of those funds every month goes to mission groups. So some of those are local. Kent prayed earlier for Christian Challenge here on Washburn University. They share the gospel with students. They disciple young believers. You got the same thing with Doxodzo right here locally. They share the gospel with young students. They disciple young students. But also just a couple of months ago, uh, Roger, Roger, what, thank you, Waddell was here. And guys, what we help support, and other churches, especially in the Midwest, help support in the Dominican Republic, I mean, there are just people coming to faith all over the place. They're being highly affected. And we're part of that, not because we're there physically, but because we're helping equip the folks that are. So we're not all missionaries, we're all witnesses. If we're not going, we're still part of sending. That was Israel's mission by staying close. It's the church's mission by going out to the nations. Still got the same call. Now, here's some irony. In the Old Testament, God meant to use the blessing on Israel as a means of inciting Gentiles to salvation. Right? So the psalmist says, bless us. So the nations, those from among the nations, will believe, will be saved. But Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, he flips this on its head. So Paul loves his Jewish relatives, his Jewish nation. And he wants to see him saved. But most of the people he's seen come to faith in the Jewish Messiah. They're Gentiles. They're not Jews. And so when you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you get Paul's heart for the Jews. He says, "My heart, I have unceasing grief for my brethren. I wish they'd believe. They have a zeal for God. So this is what he says. He says, Romans eleven thirteen. He says, I magnify my ministry, so ministry to the Gentiles, in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. So the psalmist says, bless us that Gentiles will come in. Paul prays, God, save more Gentiles so the Jews will see that and say, we don't want to be excluded. We want to come in as well. Isn't that interesting? Both groups, Jews and Gentiles, the thing gets flipped, but it's towards the same end. That the covenant people of God in that moment are used sort of as bait, as it were, to bring in those who aren't. Come join us, the water's fine sort of thing. In fact, it's to this end, Romans 11.32, God consigns all to disobedience. He shows the ju- His righteous judgment on all. That's Romans 3. That He may have mercy on all. That was true in Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. It's true in the psalmist's day. It's true in your day and mine as well. So salvation in Christ has always been about bringing God bringing people to Himself from every tribe, nation, every tongue, and kindred. And let's just pause for just a minute. Guys, we live in the richest nation and the richest time still, however bad the economy is, in the history of the world. And so, do you think God means to shower us with the abundance He has so we can simply sit and soak and feel good about ourselves and our abundance in our life? It's, It's too good to keep, right? 
So when we look at our lives, we, we will answer. Every Christian will stand before Christ and answer as a steward, right? Jesus is going to say, this is what I gave you. We don't choose the time we live in. We don't choose, sort of, the place we live in. We don't choose the spiritual gifts. There's so many things about our lives we don't choose. God chose for us. But we're going to answer for them. And so one of God's primary things is mission to the church, to believers in the church, is we're supposed to be thinking about seeing other people brought to faith in Christ. So are we using our time, our resources, our spiritual gifts, our investments, whatever those are, whatever we've been given, gifted, do we see that part of that effort on our part should be to be proactive, prayerful, thoughtful about, Lord, how do you mean to use me, or how do you mean to use us collectively, to see others who don't yet know you brought in? What does going for us look like? Uh, what does the church sort of as a local temple of God look like on the earth today? One hope, the primary hope when Christians meet together on Sunday mornings is that we're coming together and we're worshiping God. So we would call this our worship service. But do you remember what happens in 1 Corinthians 14? Paul's talking to the, the Corinthian church and their meetings are kind of a mess because they're chaotic. But he says, if you'll do it this way in order... When some of the people get up and speak from me in the moment, he said, the unbelievers among you will fall down and say, God is in your midst. Because he just spoke and I heard it. So the church should have that same sense of influence that even when we're getting together and doing nothing more than collectively being intentional about praising God, that's still a witness to the folks who are with us who don't yet know Christ. So that's God was after in the Old Testament. He's still doing in the New. Uh, look at verses 3 through 5. Uh, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So not just Israel, not just Jews. Let the nations, not, not Israel, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. And you guide the nations upon the earth. Selah, think about it, meditate, consider. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the psalmist says here, he's asking God to bless the nations, and it's for two distinct purposes. So the first, this call and hope for those among the nations, is that they'll come to praise God because God is worthy of praise, and all creation should bow before Him in praise. One of the things we routinely pray up here before service begins on Sunday morning, is God, help us to give you your due. Help us to give you your due. Help us to praise you as we ought. Because the redeemed should be conscientiously, thoughtfully, faithfully giving God his due. Praising him. So, verse 3, let the peoples praise you. All peoples praise you. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you. All peoples praise you. The psalmist is after more voices from the earth praising God. He wants God to get his due from every voice on the planet. So his invitation on one hand is, Lord, bless us so the Gentiles come in so they join in those voices that are intentionally, thoughtfully giving you your due, praising you. This is about God. Guys, you know the first thing about motivation for your and my living, it's not about myself and it's not about you. Sorry, it's not about you. It's first about God. 
So every life, we're supposed to offer to God our life as a willing sacrifice. Now that has benefits, right? Because as we give God His due, we end up blessing and loving others. And that's the second thing the psalmist wants as well. So, And before I get there, uh, Romans 15, 5 and 6 says this. So Paul's prayer, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember the church at Rome, it's both Jews and Gentiles in one setting, combined in one church. And Paul in that setting is praising that you guys are in harmony with one another. Why? So that with one voice, you collectively glorify God. You give God His due. You praise God collectively together. Jews and Gentiles together. You know, as humans, you, you are made to worship. And there's no human on earth that cannot worship. We, we are worshipers. It's, it's how we were made. You can't not be a worshiper. You worship something. Or you worship someone. You know, biblically, if we live according to truth, we worship our Maker, our Creator. We worship God. But if we don't, we are worshiping something else or someone else. So the psalmist is so taken up with God and His glory that he's praising, God, would you bring more people in so you get more praise and honor? Think think of this. In the conversations you have with others, what are you so enthusiastic about that you talk about it and no one has to ask you? There's bumper stickers that say, ask me about my grandchild. Okay, I get it. That's, you're thrilled about being a grandparent. So if we are talking to others, what just comes out? What's the abundance of our heart? Now, I know this is not a fair question at one level, right? Because if you just had a great meal... You might be saying, that was outstanding, the meal. Uh, so depending on the time and the circumstance, your answer might vary, right? But sort of in the big arena of life, am I so jazzed about God and His goodness that I can't help talking about that praising to others? Is that in there at all? Am I, am I personally so convinced of God's praiseworthiness that praising God and speaking of Him to others is just part of what comes out because that's where I am, I'm at? And let me qualify this here too. Um, the Queen of Sheba had heard some things and she didn't know if it was true. So she went and she saw. She saw the reality. And it was only when she saw the reality that she praised God, that she joined with the Jews in praising Yahweh. So if we say, you know, I, I don't really see myself characterized as somebody who's praising God or so thankful, so filled up with that relationship I have with God that that's what comes out to others. And, and if that's the case, I'd say there's no condemnation. If you're a Christian, okay, Romans 8, there's no condemnation. But what we need is we need to know more of God. Because just like the queen, the more you see of God, the more praiseworthy you realize He is, the more motivated you are to sing His praises or to give Him His due, whatever that looks like in life. Lord, I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to obey because you're worth it, because I know something about you.
And guys, for any of us, I don't know if there's a day um, that goes by that I don't, I'm just uh, humbled by the thought that I'm saved, that I'm not going to hell, that I'm going to heaven because Jesus saved me, you know, and what emptiness of life. You know, I got saved at 19. That's a long time ago. But in those 19 years, I can tell you I was miserable and I knew what vanity and emptiness was like. And just that God saved me and gave me purpose and gave me a, a direction and a life, just life. It's like, I get it. I'm thankful every day. Every day. So if we're not there, it just means we need to know more about God for ourselves. You know, there's a way you could do that, don't you? You could read your Bible. You could get up every morning. You can open your Bible because God will show up, right? Jesus is the Word of God in person and the Bible is the Word of God printed. So when you sit down with the Bible, you're meeting with the Lord. And you can just say, Lord, speak to me this morning. Show me more of yourself this morning. He will. So if that's not what we're characterized by, we can be. We just need to know more about God. We need to see Him more fully as He is. Uh, okay, so the first reason the psalmist wants the Gentiles to come in is so God gets His due. So more of the pagans and the Gentiles join the Jews in their knowledge of who God really is and praises Him. The second one is this, though. The psalmist knows that when those Gentiles, those pagans, those idolaters, when they come in and they recognize Yahweh and they're saved through faith, he knows that they're coming into a life that he characterizes as gladness and joy. And so the second motivation the psalmist has is that the nations would get the gladness and the joy that the Jews have because they know the Lord. They know the living and true God. So the second reason is he wants them to get the blessing of knowing God. So does this sound familiar? This sounds like the two great commandments to me. So love God with all that you are. God, I know who you are. I want other people to come in and love you. And love your neighbor as yourself. I have gladness and joy, and I want my neighbors to have gladness and joy. What you see, the psalmist is motivated by the two great commands that still apply to you and I today. Love God above all, and love others as myself. Uh, let's see. I need to wind down. Uh, one of the things, that, this may sound strange, a lot of us pray for people to come to saving faith, and it's usually people we know and love, and, and I'm good with that. Or it's your neighbors, you like your neighbor, you pray for them. Lord, they're a lovely person, would you save them? Um, you know, one of the things that gets me to pray for others is when people don't like Mike, and they speak ill towards me. And, and I think uh, this would never be true of any of you. And I think, uh, Lord, um, the instances in my mind, not Christians, I think, Lord, they're miserable. They're lost. They don't know you. They don't have you. And so, Lord, I, pray, I get where they're coming from. Lord, would you save them? Because if you'd save them, I know what it looks like to have a life that's out nowhere, going nowhere, and to suddenly know what life really is. I get it. That, that the person who cuts you off in traffic, the person you work with that you don't like or doesn't respect you or treat you well or just take it on and on. 
What a great opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself by praying the psalmist's prayer that they would be brought to Yeshua, to salvation, to the knowledge of salvation. 1 Peter 3.9 says this, Don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. He joins the same thoughts as Psalm 67. You're blessed to be a blessing. And even when you're running into people that are antagonistic to you, you have the opportunity as one who's been blessed to bless others. We can at least do that through prayer. Uh, Let's wind down on those uh, last two verses. Uh, The earth has yielded its increase past tense, so the prayer for abundance has been answered. God, maybe this is at a fall gathering. Maybe this is the tabernacles in the fall and the harvests have been brought in and the grapes are in and all that good stuff and he says the earth has yielded its increase we've been blessed with the abundance you've given us god our god shall bless us future tense god shall bless us let all the ends of the earth fear him the psalmist says god has blessed us in the abundance that's crops it's livestock And that there's a time coming when they would experience an additional future fullness of God's blessing. Guys, one of the great uh, testimonies God says that He has given to the nations, so it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter when you live, one of God's ongoing testimonies to Himself, Paul brings up in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, and initially these guys think these are gods come down from Olympus to speak to them. They say, no, 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 that's not the case. And Paul says this, In past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet He did not leave Himself without witness, for He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God says that rain is a testimony to Him and His goodness. God says that the harvests that come in every year are testimony to God and His goodness. God says not only Romans 1, creation testifies to God, but the abundance of the earth every year in the cycles of sowing and rains and irrigation, planting and harvesting, God says, that's a witness to me. That's my abundance. That's one of the ways I've continued to testify to the earth. So the psalmist is saying, God, we have received that blessing and we're counting on it in the future because we know not only are you bound by your own word to bless us, think of that blessing, but we know you're going to use that to bring Gentiles in as well. And he says it's going to, to fear God. And remember, scripturally, to fear God, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. If I don't fear God, I don't know Him. In fact, that passage Kent read earlier uh, from Hebrews, uh, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> God is to be feared. In all the instances in Scripture where mere mortals see God, what happens? They just fall out. They can't stand up. He's so holy and He's so glorious. But when you see the scene in heaven, Revelation 5, what is everybody doing? They're falling down before Him, not because they can't abide in His presence, but because they see Him as He is and they're collectively bowing to worship Him together. That's where all of that ends. So... The psalmist is saying, you have blessed us, you will bless us. And where is that going to end? Well, you'll judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on earth. So I want to close with this thought. 
Psalm 67, the prayer about the nations being brought in and not only worshiping God for his abundance in produce, but because he's judging the earth with equity, because they can look and see how perfectly God's judging the earth, that has not happened. And it won't happen until Christ is seated on a throne in Jerusalem. Now, I'm a fan of Charles Spurgeon for a number of reasons, but I don't share his eschatology, at least in part. But listen to what he said about Psalm 67 and its future fulfillment. He said, We cling to the belief that the kingdom of Christ will embrace the whole habitable globe and that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Psalm 67. For this glorious consummation, Spurgeon writes, we agonize in prayer. See, you know, the Bible ends on, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's sort of the cry of the Christian heart. Come Lord Jesus. And when He comes, He rules and reigns on the earth, and the nations will be led gloriously and justly. And He says, and I believe, that's when this psalm will be fulfilled. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he'll set up his throne. And that's when Jews and Gentiles together will be fully blessed on the earth as they can be until God sets up a new heaven and new earth. Hosea 2 says this in part. In that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens. They shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Sorry, some of this is a little veiled, but... You get the scene of of abundance. I will sow her, Israel, for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. Now, if you know Hosea, no mercy is Israel. God says, uh, you should be my people of mercy, but for now I'm going to show you no mercy. Well, now he says, nope, I'm going to show you mercy. And then he says, and I will say to not my people, this is as it's quoted by Paul in Romans 9 of Gentiles, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Hosea's image is Jews and Gentiles worshiping God collectively together. That's a good day. That's Psalm 67. Well, rise with me with you. So I went just a little long. And I want to close by reading together from Isaiah 45. It's along this same theme. Read with me, please. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance.